0: <laughs> my gnome <laughs> thank you Steve it's great to be with you brothers thank you so much for the invitation to come I have been looking forward to it and uh, I would come even if Mike wasn't here that was, an, that was an added blessing to renew fellowship with a dear brother uh, may I invite you to open your Bible to Second Samuel chapter 10 please please uh, If if you want to know something about me, maybe you can ask me later. I lead a very insignificant life, so there's not much to say, Uh, but I am eager to preach God's Word to you, so let me encourage you to open to 2 Samuel chapter 10, and I want to read for you this little account, um, interesting little event in the history of David's reign. You are perhaps familiar with it, maybe uh, not, but let me read it to you beginning in verse 9. And allow this scripture to set up our topic, which uh, this morning I would like to speak to the idea of risk, especially uh, risk as it relates to being a Christian, especially risk as it equates to being a Christian leader, and what God expects from us, and perhaps ways in which we may shy away uh, from the very thing that He requires of us. So you follow along as I read 2 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may Yahweh the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians had fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together and Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer at their head. And when it was told, David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed of the Syrians, the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen, and wounded Shobak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all, the kings, when, when all the kings who were servants of Hadadazar saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Let me pray once more before we open God's word together. And so Lord, we pray that you would speak. We have sung and asked that You would speak, and now we pray again and ask that it would be Your voice that we hear, Your truth that deals with us right where we are. And I pray that we all might be mutually encouraged and edified and admonished by Your Word. Strengthen us, we pray. Show us what it means to follow Jesus, to be His disciple. This I ask in the name of Christ. Amen. When he was 35 years old, John Payton felt the call of God to become a missionary to the New Hebrides. At the time, that settlement was known for its cannibals, men who eat men. And you may be familiar with the account of John Payton, at 35 years old, going about raising awareness for the mission to go, trying to gain the support of the churches there in Scotland, and he recounts one particular gentleman who was opposed to his going. Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. At last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer." Peyton, of course, did go to New Hebrides. He was married. Within the first year, his first son, Peter, would die. Within weeks, his wife would die. And he would spend literally decades seeing only incremental, small growth for years and years and years, laboring, sometimes having to leave the island because of mounting threats against his life. Wonderful stories if you've read his autobiography of him working in his garden, surrendering his life to the providence of God, while tribal leaders with muskets would aim at him and and pretend to fire at him and just gather around. Day after day, he lived under the threat of death. Every day was a risk for that man. He risked his life for Jesus. I want to call you likewise to risk. I'm not calling you to be a missionary. This isn't a drumming up for the mission fest. I am simply calling you to think about what the Bible says about risk. The word risk means to expose yourself to loss. It is to expose yourself to loss. It is to expose yourself to the loss of money. It is to expose yourself to the loss of standing in your community. It is to expose yourself to the loss of health, to expose yourself perhaps to the loss of future plans. It is to do something of uncertain outcome. In other words, you may lose. And that's the problem with risk. Sometimes we do lose. Sometimes we do fail. Maybe you've made some bad business decisions and you think, I don't want that to happen again. Or maybe you made some bad relational decisions and you garnered up all the courage you had and got down on one knee and said, will you? And she said, no. Well, you don't have to do that too many times before you begin to fear risk. For those of us that are 40 years old or older, I think in some ways we fear risk even more. Uh, The older we get the more we have to lose. I mean, when you're young and stupid, you do whatever you think you're going to do, right? But once you, you know, get established in your ministry, once you finally get that home, once you have a few children, once, once life is going, once, once, once your world seems to be taking shape, risk becomes, in some ways, even more threatening. But I would like to rinse your mouth with the cold waters of risk so as to draw you away from the sand of that desert mirage that we call security. Risk is, is not something just for the young and restless. As a member of Christ's church, we essentially say, I will hazard my life for the gospel's sake. It is a defining characteristic of the Christian to be willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads us. Elizabeth Elliot, after losing her husband Jim Elliot, who was speared to death, bringing the gospel to Akka Indians, only a year later is going to go and live with those people who killed her husband. And she wrote, There is no need for faith where there is no consciousness of an element of risk. There's no need for faith where there is no consciousness of an element of risk. And so I want to use the word risk to catch up the biblical ideas of both faith and hope. When we say, let's have faith, what are we saying? We're saying that we're going to place our confidence in what God has revealed. And that is, that is risky. When we talk about the biblical idea of hope, Romans 8.24, we, we have a hope that hope that is seen is not hope. We hope for what we do not see. And and that too is an element of risk. And we're not talking here about some dream, some fantasy, but but the sure confidence of what God has promised. And this means that Christian risk is not just the lust of adventure. It's not simply taking impulsive plunges. It's not testing God. Jesus was tempted to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, but he refused. Christian risk is acting on what you know is true. That's all it is. It's choosing to to not just say, I believe it. It is choosing to act upon it. It's choosing to do what God has revealed in this book, in his word, which means the greatest risk for you today might be taking the servant leadership of your wife. The greatest risk for you might be breaking up with that one that you're dating. It might be not laughing at your boss's next crude joke. Christian risk for you may be facing that rogue elder down and not allowing him to control by his sinful actions anymore. In other words, Christian risk can be very closely knit with the situation in which you are currently living. Christian risk is acting on revealed truth truth it is doing what god commands and it is stopping what god prohibits and at a motivational level christian risk is all about attracting attention to god not attracting attention to you god is not calling you to be one of these loopy people that stands on the side of a cliff and jumps off it in these flying squirrel suits and gets as close to the cliff edge as you possibly can that's just dumb I don't know why anybody does that. I wouldn't even go near the edge. It's not the lust of adventure that I'm speaking about. I'm talking about doing what God commands. In the words of William Carey, it is expecting great things from God and attempting great things for God. At its most basic level, I think the Christian life is a risky life. Think about it. You are banking everything, everything, on an invisible deity. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, said Peter. Do you believe in him? Have you put your confidence and your faith in him? I realize many of you are pastors, but I've known too many pastors who've been converted in their ministries not to ask the question of you. Is, is, is Christian ministry just something that you do? Are you like that man who told me after 27 years of preaching sermons that it was all a ruse, it was all fake, it wasn't real? Well, how might you know? Are you venturing everything on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put all of your faith and confidence in Him? Do you look to Him alone to be your salvation? Is the cross everything to you? If somehow, could, if I could disprove to you the reality of God and of His salvation and of His Savior, would it ruin your life? You see, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have already taken the greatest risk. If you look for a moment to Romans chapter 8, think about what Paul writes there in this passage I'm sure you are very familiar with. In Romans chapter 8, he says this beginning in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things brothers sisters this is this is not a locker room speech for a football team this isn't oh yeah okay rah rah sis boom blah, let's go get the enemy this is reality for the christian how will he not give us all things if he has given us the greatest thing we have risked everything on the lord jesus christ because of that i want to suggest to you our risking in some ways is not risking at all <laughs> but it continues and it best continue if we are to be faithful to his call let me kind of unpack this for you under three headings first of all risk is biblical second of all risk is costly and third of all risk is life First of all, risk is biblical, and I want to come at this just by way of example, first of all. Just just think in a redemptive, historical manner about risk. Let's begin with Job. Job loses everything, and then Job stays faithful to God. That is risky. He arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped blessed be the name we say right he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord job ventured everything on god It had all been taken from him, and yet he risked it all. He put his confidence in God. And what did that accomplish? I'll tell you what it accomplished. He taught generations of us the supremacy and the trustworthiness of God. Very few great things have been accomplished for the kingdom of God apart from great risk. I have a hard time thinking of anything (laughs) that has been accomplished for the kingdom of God apart from great risk. Think about Noah. There you are, Noah, and one day God says, build an ark, <laughs> build an ark. I mean, just take your, take your mind back to that point in history. Nobody's built an ark before. There's never been a flood before. And now you are commanded by God to build a big boat. And that preacher of righteousness suffered as he built. And he preached the righteousness of God. And still it was only the eight who were preserved. And God miraculously preserves the human race and God is glorified as he shows in vivid picture form the judgment that is to come. It is accomplished because Noah risked everything and built the boat. Think about Abraham putting his only son, his promised son, his finally delivered son on the altar, raising the knife, ready to plunge the knife and to kill the offering until the angel intervenes. He had every intention to do it, to kill the long-awaited son who would fulfill the promise. And God is glorified by his risk. Becomes a picture of substitutionary atonement. Think of Moses, that murderous felon in the land of Egypt, called by God out of the wilderness to go back to Egypt, to return to the scene of his crime. And he does, he risks everything, he goes back, and God is glorified in the exodus out of Egypt as the children of Israel are walking out of Egypt. David or the psalmist writes in Psalm 77, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God leads them through the waters. What was that like to stand with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left? Again, nobody's done that before. And off they go, walking through the army behind them, God before them, leading them, and they accomplish great things in the kingdom of God. Think about Joshua marching around the city of Jericho, obeying God, risking everything. I assume it looked rather foolish to march around silently six times and then seven times on the seventh day until the walls come tumbling down and God is glorified. God is the one who opens up the land. Think about Ruth leaving the land of Moab and her family and coming to Palestine as a poor widow with Naomi. And God is glorified as she risks and Messiah's seed is carried on. Think about the great David fighting Goliath, that young boy, 1 Samuel 17. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that Yahweh saves not with sword and spear for the battle is Yahweh's and he will give you into our hand. Saul wasn't going out there. For 40 days, 80 times the giant had come out. Morning and evening for 40 days he had come out and taunted the armies of Israel. Saul wasn't going to meet him. Not even faithful Jonathan was going out to meet him. It was the shepherd boy David who went out to meet him and risked everything. I won't take the armor, thanks. I'll just take my sling and my stones. Joab and Abishai surrounded. God brings about deliverance. Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal. God is glorified. False worship is destroyed. With great risk comes great advance. Think about Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, who prayed and God turned his enemies against themselves and then Jehoshaphat goes out with the children of Israel and collects the spoil. Nehemiah, who dared to request from Artaxerxes the the return to Jerusalem as cupbearer, he took his hands in his life and said, I'd like to go back. Think about Esther, determined to go to the king, even though the last queen who went to the king, things didn't turn out so well. And God is glorified as the nation is saved from extinction so that Christ may come. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in the fiery furnace, they answer the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We will take the risk of staying faithful and true to God, and we will not bow down to your idols. Why? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a glorious picture of men who are willing to risk everything to follow the Lord. Daniel into the lion's den rather than to falsely worship idols. Elizabeth Elliot said, God does not prove to us the trustworthiness of his word until we act upon it. How true is that, brothers, sisters? That God does not prove the trustworthiness of his word until we act upon it. Think of the examples we gain from the New Testament, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. The religious leaders call them, charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, they're prisoners at the moment. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Acts chapter 5, all 12 Apostles, again, under house arrest, as it were. You might, or rather, uh, Gamaliel says, you might even be found opposing God if you harm these men. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, these, these words that we read so easily, they beat them. And then they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they, the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name. And every day, every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You want to, we want to talk about taking risk. I don't know if any of you have been arrested recently. I have not. But I wonder what it is to not only be arrested, to not only be beaten, to not only be threatened, to not only be charged, that if you do this again, we will kill you, and to go right back out the same day to the same place where you were just arrested and to preach Christ and Him crucified. Not only only is this pattern of taking risk exemplified all through the Scriptures, but I would say it is also commanded by our Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, anyone, that includes you, that includes me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels. Will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Oh, how I tremble at that verse. Think about Luke chapter 12. Where Jesus expands on this very theme and says these words Seek his kingdom, verse 31, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. C.T. Studd, the great cricketer and famous wealthy cricketer in England who eventually left the sport at the, at the, the pinnacle of his career and left the wealth that he inherited as a young man so that he might be a missionary into China. wrote this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Risk Risk is biblical. Risk is also costly. True risk for the kingdom of God may cost you everything. Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. John the Baptist risked everything when he preached against Herod's sexual immoralities, and he lost his head. Stephen risked everything when he preached the name of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem to the religious leaders and even spoke of the vision which God had given him, and they stoned him to death. Paul, that remarkable man, Paul, risked everything. Think about Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. They go to Antioch, and they're driven out. So they go to Iconium, and they attempt to stone them, and they escape. And then they go to Lystra, and they do stone them, and they leave them for dead. But when the disciples, Acts 14, verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him after they leave him for dead, he rose up, and where does he go? He enters the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe when they had preached the gospel. What? You were stoned yesterday. You were left for dead yesterday. And you go back to the city, and the next day you go and you preach the gospel again, the very thing that caused this terrible affront against your person. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, where he had been stoned, and to Iconium, where they had attempted to stone him, and to Antioch, where he had been driven out, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Brother pastors, may I just speak to us for a moment and say, are you living this way? So are you living in a way that not only says but models through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God? I am not suggesting you become masochistic and somehow, you know, drum up persecution. But are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to be the man in the gap? Are you willing to be the one who says, here I stand and I shall go no further? Are you willing to be the one who says, I will do what the book says, even if it causes me great tribulation? Joan Waste was converted to Christ from Roman Catholicism. She was blind. And in 1556, she would pay a man to come and read the scriptures to her. This was in her parish against the rules. And so elderly, blind Joan Waste was put in prison, told to renounce Protestantism, demanded to go to the mass, which she refused. And little old Joan Waste was burned at the stake because she wanted to have the Bible read to her. Alice Benden converted around the same time Stopped going to the Mass, wouldn't participate in that idolatry, quickly was arrested by the priests and the civil magistrates, taken from her husband and family, put into prison because what woman could, you know, could survive prison? That'll get her. And so they put her into prison on bread and water. Her, her husband begs with the authorities, please get my wife back to me. Finally, they will let her go as long as he promises to get her to the Mass and she still refuses, and eventually she is burned at the stake in front of her family because she is willing to lay her life down for Jesus. Risk may cost you everything, and yet Romans 8 is true, it costs you nothing. That's the great mystery of it, right? That's the great temptation, is is to believe Satan's press. It's to believe the messaging that is coming to you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're going to lose everything. And somehow we need to cultivate these eternal eyes that, that look beyond the immediate to the eternal, that see that our life is just the tiniest of specks on, an, on a line that never ends of eternity, that we will be with him forever, and there is not a single one of us who will arrive in heaven having laid down our lives, having lost everything, and then get before Almighty God and say, oh, are you kidding? This is it? Oh, friend you will stand before Almighty God And you will say, why, why, why didn't I give more for the sake of my king? Look at him! Look at him in his glory. Look at him in his splendor. Look at his beloved son. Look at what he has done for me. Look at the riches of heaven. Look at the generosity and the splendor of his love displayed. Yes, I'm joining in with the angelic host. Praise him for he is just and true. Everything he does is fair and right. It is all in line with the perfection of his character and of his will. You will fall on your face and you will glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. Peter said to Jesus, see we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. Taking risks for God often, often results in pain in this life. But as that writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32, recall the former days when you were enlightened, when the gospel broke in, You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, this this is a phrase that is meant for Western Christians, I believe, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Are you more in love with the thought of heaven than your brand new flat screen TV? You may lose the television. You will not lose heaven. You see, pain and torture are not your gods. You are free from those supposed deities. And ultimately, not even death is to be feared. Your soul cannot go to hell if you are Christ. What else do you need to worry about? Why worship safety? Why worship security? These things are just an illusion anyway. Ask the people who are in the World Trade Center, 9-11. Who makes your heart beat? Who keeps you from stepping in front of a car, even in Prince Edward Island? Who decides if you have money in the bank or not? It is a sovereign, omnipotent God. Risk aversion, risk aversion promises life and delivers death. Risk taking threatens death and brings life. That leads me to my third point risk is biblical, risk is costly. Risk is life. I believe that taking God on His word, being willing to risk all in order to follow Him, is one of the surest means to delight in God. I do not think the Apostle Paul was a melancholy, sad individual. Rejoice in the Lord always, says the man from prison. Again, I say rejoice. One of the surest means to delighting in God is to take risk for the kingdom of God. Humanly speaking, and here I tread with some trepidation, but humanly humanly speaking, Jesus had to risk everything on the cross, didn't he? Gethsemane, oh, Father, take this cup from me. But not my will but yours be done. And then on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane were not fake, it wasn't a show it was real as our lord wrestled with this the greatest of risk to take upon himself an eternity of hell that sinners like me deserve to experience firsthand the wrath of god against sin of which he knew not any sin in his own life he was made sin on our behalf all for the joy set before him and he endured the cross No wonder Jesus would say "Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Not long before that spear took his life, Jim Elliot wrote, do you know it? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. I think that you and I are to be like David, who wrote in Psalm 119, verse 173, Think, think about these words, let your hand be ready to help me for reason, I have chosen your precepts. So, as David is reflecting on God's word, he says to the Lord, Now, Lord, I'm choosing your precepts. I'm going to go the way that you have revealed. So, let your hand be ready to help me, be there for me. Forward-looking, it's, it's all foggy, it's all dark, but I'm venturing everything on you, Lord. So, therefore, let your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. These are the words of a man who spent 12 years being chased around the wilderness of, of Israel by King Saul. Who, on several, at least two occasions, had the opportunity to take his enemy's life. But because his enemy was God's anointed, he refused and thereby extended his sufferings. He was willing to risk everything on the revealed will of God. Are you, are you willing to risk everything on the revealed will of God? God has spoken in his word and God has instructed us from his word. Are you willing to do that one thing that he has revealed that right now looks terrifying? Let me suggest to you how to begin. Number one, I am not saying sell your home and move to the PNG and live amongst a, a, a tribal group, and, and maybe that's what God is calling you to, but that, I don't want you to hear that as my messaging. What I would suggest is this. <laughs> in fact, when, when young people, we, we've got lots of young people in the church, when they come to me and say, you know, I, I really want to be a missionary, my first question is, is always, you know, who have you had the opportunity to lead to Christ? Tell me about when the last time you, you shared the gospel. And it's remarkable to me how many people think they're going to share the gospel in a foreign land and have never spoken to their neighbor about Jesus so I suggest start with what is plain and revealed in your closest relationships let the truth come to bear there maybe it is your marriage maybe it's with your children maybe it's with your parents maybe it's in your church maybe it's with your elders maybe it's with your deacons Start with what is plain and revealed from God's word and apply it there in your closest relationships. Number two, build servant-hearted friendships in your community before you build a soup kitchen in somebody else's. Learn to engage the people God has put around you now and risk everything with them. Oh, I'm preaching to my own heart here. I'm, think, I'm walking up my street in my mind's eye where I walk the dog every night, dumb dog. And uh, I just, I, I'm thinking about those people who live there. Whom, with whom have I spoken? Who, who, with whom do I have relationship? I need to begin there before I do the great exploits for the kingdom of God. Thirdly, I suggest you seek to live moment by moment under William Carey's wise counsel. Expect great things from God. Are you expecting? Are you anticipating that God is going to work? Are you praying like that, Oh Lord, work? Sometimes you're going to labor in prayer for a long, long time before you see it. In fact, you may never see it. Henry Martin was a missionary to uh, modern-day Turkey, and he was was a very quiet, shy, and reserved man, single man, had a great burden to bring the gospel to where, at that point, there was no knowledge of any Christian, not a single Christian in the land. And yet, he was a shy and timid man by nature, so he went... To the old Pastor John Newton, amazing grace, John Newton. And he said to Mr. Newton, explain to him his fears and his worries. And Pastor Newton said, Well, I don't expect that Satan will be pleased with what you're about to do. And that was the end of his counsel. And it was that one little statement used of God in the life of Henry Martin. and Henry Martin laid down his life there. But Henry Martin translated the scriptures there. He saw maybe one, two conversions. felt like a complete failure, but his was the seed that laid into the ground and bore much fruit for the sake of the gospel. He didn't see it in his life. So live like William Carey lived. I expect great things from God and I'll keep attempting great things for God. Pray, try, let the gospel be your model of godly risk. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every weight, and the sin which clings so closely, what Spurgeon called our darling sins, Is it your darling sin that is keeping you from attempting great things for the kingdom of God? Be done with it, brother. Be done with it. Let us lay these things aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not the race that was set before Spurgeon, not the race that was set before Henry Martin, not the race that was set before the guy down the road, but the race that is set before me. Like a runner in his lane, here's my lane. All right, Lord, I'm going to run and I'm going to run with endurance the race that is set before me, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted and stop taking risk let me pray Father, I pray that we would not allow our comforts in this world to hold us back from doing what you command. I pray especially for my brother pastors, perhaps some who are just beginning in their ministries and questioning whether it is worth it to trust in your word, to preach the whole counsel of God. Oh Lord, we need much wisdom, we need much direction from you, but we also need much spirit-wrought courage to do what you command. So please, work in all of our lives, work in my life, Make us men and women who are willing to lay it down for the sake of Jesus. And then, Lord, prepare us to see you face to face. This we ask in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.